0: Welcome to Winning Is Not Everything, where we bring sanity back to youth sports by focusing on character development, effort, and sportsmanship, not rankings and trophies. I'm your host, Sean Jensen, former NFL reporter, children's book author, and youth sports coach. Chase Brooks dreamed of playing professional soccer, shining at his college. So, why did he transition so quickly from playing to coaching? Tune in to find out. While in Spain, during my coaching course at Tovo Academy, I learned and experienced so much. One evening, we headed to Club Gymnastique de Tarragona, one of Spain's oldest clubs. Be honest, have you ever heard of it? I certainly had not. But we watched Nastique's top U16 team play the U15 team and there was just so much brilliance on display. I had a few thoughts, one, wow, these teams would dominate, absolutely dominate many of the teams at their respective age levels and even above in the United States. But the second thought was this, how many of these boys dream of becoming professional footballers and how many will actually make it? Chase Brooks had that dream too, growing up in Florida, and he was good enough to play in college and earn lots of accolades. But when he finished his collegiate career, he quickly started coaching, and I wanted to find out why. Let's get to it. You played at a high level when you were a high school student, but tell me about your recruiting experience and how you ended up at Eckerd College.
1: Yeah, so it was uh, it was kind of a strange experience. Um, obviously, was a pretty good youth player. Went to. Two different high schools so that i could you know i was started at astero high school in fort myers florida and then ended up my my coach left astero and went to bishop row high school so i transferred for my senior year because i wasn't getting looks on a collegiate level and, and that was my only way of going to school was was through an athletic scholarship so i was it was very very uh driven in that athletic sense to to find those funds so i could attend university and, you know, through that process, so high school season in Florida is in the wintertime. So we're ending, what, March, April? And I still hadn't really committed anywhere. So I was, I was going to a couple of these D2 schools. I'd reached out to some D1s, but no, there was nobody really there to educate me on the process. So we, we, as a family, did it on our own. Like we had to kind of figure it out. And so through that process, I uh, was fortunate enough that I went on trial at Eckerd. I, they had a, you know, a day where you could come in and train with the team. And, you know, that process went well. I knew the coach had been out to see me once or twice in other tournaments, and he came back with a, with a decent size financial package and and the university helped with a lot of that. And, and, you know, the athletics was able to help with a very, very small bit of it, but, but thankfully through the athletic department and and athletics or academics combined, I was able to get a decent enough package to attend Eckerd. and so even that part of the process was, you know, just staying patient and just continuing to work hard and, and trusting the process because I was I was offered a spot at one or two other universities, but we just couldn't afford it. You know, it was walk on spots and things of that nature. And so it was just one of those things where we just had to stay true to ourselves and keep working hard and, and, and trust the process. And and again, I give a lot of credit to my parents for for you know, staying positive through the process and helping me stay positive and just keeping moving forward. What
0: was that experience like playing collegiate soccer? It was fun. It was fun. I really
1: did enjoy it. Like, you know, for me, again, school being what school was for me, I was always, you know, I I was never a bad student. I was never an an excelling type of student, but I always knew what school was for me. And it was just more of a means to an end. So soccer was what I wanted to do, Um, you know, from from as far back as I can remember, professional soccer players, really what I'd wanted to be. You know, dreaming, lying there in bed, dreaming about, you know, playing in the World Cup and things of that nature was, you know, kind of that that what drove me every day. So so college soccer for me was just more of of the best part of it. Like, you know, I got to play soccer anytime I wanted. We trained uh, often, We um, got to go out in our free time and play. And I got to do it in, a, in an unstructured environment, which, which was, had, its, had its positives and negatives. Um, I had some growing up to do when I got to college, as most of us do. But, um, but it was great, just that great experience to be out and just to, to keep playing at a high level. And, and, and the conference I played in that Eckerd plays in is arguably the best Division two conference in the nation. And, so to play against the teams we are playing against and the players we were playing against was just outstanding competition. It was just so much fun to test yourself against some of the best, just the best players in Division Two. It was, was, was just a lot of fun.
0: It's always difficult when. An individual kind of realizes that their future as a player is coming to an end whenever that realization becomes when was that realization for you and then how did you transition into coaching from that
1: so that realization for me was was after the completion of my senior year of college i was offered a couple of trials but you know looking back now and being in the position i am and now i understood more so what those trials were it was um you know, to, to have the ability to pay, to go train and trial somewhere, but you're trialing with, you know, a hundred other people at a time. So I probably should have realized it sooner than I did, but, um, but there really, again, wasn't, wasn't necessarily somebody there helping me through that process. And I knew I was, I felt I was good enough. i have been told I was good enough. So it was that situation was, I was like, okay, I'm going to go for this. But then once, once the season ended and as those tri- trials started to come closer and closer, I found that I wasn't preparing myself as hard as I should have been, you know, looking back now. And so I think it was in that time that I kind of realized that it really wasn't the right path for me. I had a girlfriend at the time who was absolutely wonderful. She ended up becoming my wife, uh, thankfully. I just found that I had other interests, right? I wanted to spend more time with her. I was, I was more focused on my academics than I'd ever had been in before. And so there's just a lot of other things pulling me in other directions. and, and and, and soccer, as far as training to become a pro, uh, just took the back seat. And so that was really the realization of that moment. And and I was okay with it in the end. Like, it was fine. Uh, and, and fortunately enough, where I went to school at Eckerd, I was offered the assistant coach role right there, right after graduation. So... It was an absolute wonderful opportunity. The coach at the time, Gregory Moss Brown, was, was just a great human being, great individual, great coach. And I was fortunate enough to be the captain of the team my senior year, and he saw that leadership potential in me and, and that coaching potential in me. And so he offered me the, the spot, and so I, I didn't look back. and you know, at that time, it was like uh, I make the joke, it was like one fourth assistant coach. And then I got three quarters of my job was to be the uh, one of the resident coordinators on campus, which I'd never been an RA before. So that was that was actually where my biggest learning curve was, was trying to figure out that role. But no, it was just a lot of fun. I'm so thankful for that opportunity. And even even like working with the RAs gave me just a different perspective on how colleges are run. and. And how, you know, to to work with students just in general on campus, whether they're going through disciplinary issues or, you know, they may need counseling or, or just support in general or just, you know, just just to go talk and, and sit and have have fun with some people. So so it really opened my eyes to that side, which I think is, is again, something that has helped me within my coaching career. So, but yeah, that's that's how I got into it. It uh, just kind of was fortunate enough to, to fall right in at the university I was at and then Gregory Moss Brown moved on after my first year, actually I guess for my first fall as an assistant, he moved on. So now that first spring, I'm the head coach, interim head coach of these guys that I had played with. So again, that was another kind of wake up call for me and and ultimately, again, just helped solidify the fact that I, I definitely wanted coaching or I wanted something in athletics in my life, for sure.
0: Chase, we're at the Tovo coaching course together, and I found it so fascinating that when each of us were to present a challenge we were dealing with, you highlighted one around coaching your son's team. Tell me more about that decision.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, I, I look back at my career playing, my education within the sport from the time I started playing. I think I started playing when I was seven or eight, and I just feel like I was shortchanged, not on purpose, not, not wasn't anything like that. Like. I'm very thankful for the people that coached me and they did the best they could. But again, I just look back at the way our country develops young players, and I just don't feel uh, we take into account the cognitive processes that go into this sport enough. Certainly that's that's not across the board. Certainly there are coaches that do so, but I can't tell you how many times we get players at our level here, and this is division one American players. That they're just a little bit slower in decision making. They're they're not quite as sharp in this area or that area. And it, it almost always comes down to their decision making on the ball. Almost always. You know, very rarely are there technical deficiencies. You know, everybody at this level can pass and receive and and shoot, but the ability to do it at speed when you've got a six foot one, two hundred-pound player running fifteen to twenty miles per hour at you that's tough to do. I've seen some extremely technical players that just, they can't handle the game. They just can't. And so for me, it's, it's, it's been that, that realization within that, watching that development in my career as a youth college coach, and then taking that back to now, Oh my gosh, I've got kids and I want the best for my children. I want them to learn and I want them to be taught in a way that that develops them to make decisions and develops them to be critical thinkers not only on the field but off the field. And so it's like, oh, I've got to rethink this. And that's, you know, right around that time I was fortunate enough to come across, you know, Tovo and Todd Bean and And I had an assistant at the time, Josh Faga, who, who was also looking into things with Raymond Verhaegen and, and, and football braining. And and so it was just kind of all of this, this research and thought process that I kind of started to put together. And, and, and again, it's, it's, it's not rocket science at the end of the day. If, If you want to become a better soccer player, you want to, to become a player who thinks quicker and has has uh, a better opportunity to make better decisions on the ball then you have to put your players in a situation where they're able to do that mm-hmm. and if you spend 20 30 minutes 40 minutes a session where they're not making decisions then you're just wasting time and so that for me is really where this process has kind of come through and and why for me Tovo is such a big deal and, and why I wanted to go back for the second course and, and why I want to continue to, to talk about this is because, you know, I want to be able to affect change at those younger ages and because it's going to help our sport grow in this country. Uh, and again, selfishly, like I want better Americans to be able to recruit to university. And, and I've been very fortunate. I've gotten some very I've got to work with some some outstanding players from around the world. Um, I've got to work some outstanding players that, that have been American born and grown and, and developed. So again, this isn't a blanket statement where, where every coach is doing it wrong. It's not that there are plenty of absolutely quality coaches out there. And I'm, I'm a hundred percent convinced the best coach in the world is somebody we've never even heard of somebody out there just doing it in like a U 12 pitch somewhere in the middle of nowhere. But again, like how can we start to affect change at the youth levels in our country more holistically, not just, certain clubs or this coach at that club, you know, it, we need to be a country where if, if we want to win a World Cup, we have to start to develop across the board, everybody. And then I think you're going to start to see the United States really take over in this sport like we've done in most, like in many sports, you know, we're, we're a world power in a lot of sports it's because you know, we spend the resources, we, we can do it. We just got to get the coaching right.
0: You've been in the college game for a while now, and we've definitely seen a huge influx of international players playing at the Division One, Division Two, even Division Three level. Do you say in general that those international players are better from the cognitive perspective than the American-born players? More often than not, I would agree with that statement,
1: yeah. Yeah, and that's, um, you, you grow up in an environment where you're challenged. You, you're playing in the sh- in the park weekly, You know, playing with your friends in the backyard more often. You're If you're good enough at 10, you're playing with 12 and 13-year-olds. If you're good enough at 13, you're playing with 15, 16, 18-year-olds. If you're good enough at 16, you're playing with 20-year-olds. Those things force you to make decisions faster. Um, they just do. Whereas in our country, you're lucky if maybe you get moved up and age group. Right, yeah, I'll get moved up one age group. Like he's pretty good. We're gonna pull him up. And then, Okay, well that's great. Can we pull him to eight, two or three age groups and really challenge him? think like we've got a kid in the club I work with right now. He's he's a phenomenal little player, uh, eight years old. Just and the technical side of it, he's phenomenal. Like his, but his decision making is not great. His speed of play is not great. And it's like let's let's challenge him. Let's let's pick this up a notch for him. Let's let's bring him up to this next level where he has to play quicker and let's introduce more rondos and more positional play for him because he, he's a player that can handle it. And so that for me, I, I think is what I would like to see happen. I, I just think that um, the system uh, does hold us back a little bit here for sure.
0: Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Winning Is Not Everything. Please make sure to like the podcast and subscribe to the podcast so you can immediately get the latest episode. If you have any comments or questions, visit my website, seankjensen.com and go to the contact page where you can even leave me a voice recording. Winning is not everything, but the three H's to be a real hero in life are hustle, humility, and heart. I'm your host, Sean Jensen, and we'll see you again next time.